they're making these sounds in a jubilatory type of manner, mm. making sounds, and it, it's like, you know, praising the Lord, but we run out of words, and so we just make joyful noises. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crab and the Cross podcast. I'm your host, Mary Rose, and today I'm sharing with you my conversation with probably one of the most esteemed theologians of the latter half of the 20th century. His name is Father Thomas Wynandy, and he's a Franciscan friar of the Capuchin Order, and he's written dozens of books on historical theology and Christology. He's held numerous high-level positions at universities, and he's even served as an expert on doctrine for the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops. But in our conversation today, we don't talk about any of the work that he's most known for. Instead, I ask him about the Catholic charismatic renewal, which is something that fascinates me both on a theological level and on a sociological and psychological level. Um, Father Wynandy has been in the renewal since its early days. And so I wanted to talk to somebody who's an astute, bona fide theologian and see how he understands some of the language and experiences the charismatic movement in light of, you know, the history of Catholic theology. Um, the Catholic charismatic renewal is definitely, like all things, something that people have very strong opinions about. Some people accuse it of being too emotional or too tied to Protestantism, whereas others credit their entire conversion experiences and vocations to it. I'm somewhere in the middle. I, as I mentioned in the podcast, I kind of grew up adjacent to it. Um, I've been open to it. There are definitely aspects of it that I find a little bit strange. Um, you know, I'm just not one to like throw my hands up in, in praise or, you know, shout things out loud to the Lord, <laughs> at least in front of other people. Um, but I don't think that you can deny the incredible fruit that the movement has had, especially in the post-Vatican II church. Um, you know, if you look at a lot of the people who were faithful to the church after Vatican II, um, a lot of them were in the charismatic movement. I don't think that critiquing charismatic prayer for being emotional is a legitimate criticism. Um, if you read the Psalms, they are incredibly emotional. And also, if you actually have a real relationship with Jesus, then as a human being, that's going to stir up some emotions for you. I also don't think, though, it's a fair criticism to accuse it of being too tied to Protestantism um, because it doesn't really have a strong theology so much as it has a, a spirituality that's rooted in a kind of experience of prayer um, and also experience of the charismatic gifts, which are obviously very biblical. Um, so whatever your position is on the charismatic renewal, whatever your experience has been with it, I hope you listen to this whole interview um, and let me know your thoughts after you do. Also, I recorded this interview early in the morning after I'd stayed up very late packing to fly to France. Um, and I think you can notice a difference at the beginning. When I was listening back to it, I was like, wow, I'm talking at least at half speed, um, at least for the beginning. So uh, forgive me for that. Anyways, don't forget to subscribe, like, comment, share, etc. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, at The Crab and the Cross, and on YouTube. And now, my conversation with Father Thomas Wynandy. 
Father Thomas Wineandy is a professor, writer, and retreat master. He has taught at Georgetown University, Mount St. Mary's, and Oxford College in England. He was ordained a Capuchin priest in 1972 and is celebrating his 50th anniversary of priesthood this year. And he received his sacred theology doctorate in historical theology at King's College. Father Thomas, thank you so much for joining me today. You're most welcome. It's an honor to, uh, to be with you. Great. So the reason I want to talk to you is because I grew up kind of, I would say, adjacent to the charismatic movement. My parents met in the movement um, in a charismatic community. And so it was sort of in the background as I was growing up. And then we moved to another part of the state outside of that, that community. So I've had some experiences going to these charismatic types of, of prayer services. Um, but I've always kind of looked at it more from the outside in. And, and I've had some experiences that were good and some experiences that were neutral and some experiences that were just strange or confusing. Um, and I've also studied theology myself, too. I've got my master's in systematic theology. And I've been trying to kind of piece together the, um, the theological aspects of it with maybe some of the more um, sociological or psychological aspects of it. And so I want to talk to you because I know that you are an eminent priest and theologian, um, but you've also, you also were involved in the movement. Um, you, you, in fact, knew my parents, and so I thought you'd be the perfect person to, to ask some of my burning questions, too. All right. Very <laughs> um, so before we dive into some of that, though, let me just get a little bit more of your background. So where are you from originally? Uh, I grew up in a small town in northwest Ohio uh, called Adelphus almost on the Indiana uh, border. Um, it was a very Catholic town. Okay. It, was, it was probably around 10,000 people, and I would imagine at least 8,000 of them were uh, Catholic. Uh, the town was founded by a, a German priest back in around 1853, 54. Uh, and uh, so I grew up in a very... Catholic environment. My parents were very ardent, practicing uh, Catholics. Mm -hmm. um, and were you exposed to the Franciscans in that town? No, no. Uh, the, 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 the priests at the parish were diocesan priests. Uh, I, uh, uh, well, it was on my first communion day uh, the sisters who were the sister who was preparing us for first communion uh, said sometimes when you ask the Lord if you ask the Lord what he wants you to be when you grow up uh, he will tell you so I on my first communion day uh, after I received communion I went back to my pew and asked Jesus what he wanted me to be when I grew up and the thought that immediately came to my mind is uh, I want you to be a missionary priest Wow so from that moment on, um, uh, in a sense, <laughs> my, my life was determined. Yeah. Uh, I never thought of being anything other than a priest. Uh, now, I, I felt I was not supposed to be a diocesan priest, but a religious priest. And, um, and um, I guess I had you know, knowledge of St. Francis, so I thought I'd be a Franciscan. But it was only in the seventh grade that I found out about the Capuchins, and uh, uh, and having attended a couple retreats for prospective seminarians at 
our seminary in Pennsylvania, uh, I decided to uh, join the Capuchins. That was way back uh, around 1960, I guess, something like that. Wow. So did you uh, end up joining them right after high school? Well, I went to seminary right after. Uh, no, no, in high school. I, I went to our high school seminary. Oh, okay. Wow. Where was that? Uh, so I, I was only I was 14 years old when I went to the seminary. Uh, and then after uh, it, uh, at that time, uh, uh, having done the high school seminary and two years of college, uh, I went to the novitiate. Uh, and so I was professed as a Capuchin, I, uh, I think in 1967. So, okay. and then after uh, finishing my undergraduate degree, I came to Washington DC and studied theology and was ordained in 1970, 72 as a Capuchin priest. Okay. Wow. Wow. That, that's fascinating to me to, to see such a, um, a focused trajectory from, from such a young age. That's just kind of this unwavering path unfolding to the priesthood from, from first communion to, to now 50 years as a priest. So, yeah. Um, so when did you first uh, have a, like a, an experience with the charismatic renewal? Um, were you already a priest at that time? No, I was uh, uh, here in Washington, D.C. as a student. And um, uh, I knew about the charismatic renewal. Uh, I wasn't sure what to make of it. Yeah. Uh, but it was while I was a student here that one of the priests here uh, knew uh, uh, of the prayer meeting uh, out in Potomac, Maryland, and knew some of the people there and one of the founders. And uh, so um, uh, he took me to a prayer meeting uh, when I was a, when I was a, a student, um, and you know, I could tell that the Holy Spirit was there, but I wasn't sure, uh, all this was for me. I, I'm a rather quiet, uh, reserved sort of person. Yeah. In many ways. And it seemed like, uh, my personality didn't suit the, the vibrancy in life. Yeah. Of, <laughs> of course, that's all, you know, that, uh, that's all nonsense, but, at the, that's what I thought at the at the at the time, um, so uh, I didn't go back to the prayer meeting then. But uh, uh, as I was studying theology, and ha then was ordained, I went off to um, England to get my doctorate at King's College in in London. And during this time, I more and more felt that I did not, Jesus was not alive for me as he should be. It wasn't that I had any doubts of the faith. I, I never doubted what the Catholic church taught, uh, but it was more that Jesus just wasn't alive. And, you know, I had read lives of the saints and of course, um, Jesus was really alive for the saints, you know, yeah. like St. Saint, Saint Francis, for example. Uh, but I thought, well, I had the thought came to my mind, well, Jesus came alive for them because they were holy. But then the immediate thought came to me after that and said, no, no, that's not right. Uh, they first, Jesus first came alive to them 
and then they became holy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, um, uh, so this 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 uh, desire or or wanting something, needing something more, uh, grew during my three years that I was in England, and I thought that uh, when I finished my degree, I would get back in touch with the people, uh, the community uh, out in it, it would Potomac, Maryland. Mm -hmm. uh, and but um, in the meantime, um, uh, actually, one of the people who I was going to talk to uh, was coming to Rome uh, in 1970, May of 1975 for the first International Charismatic Conference in Rome at Pentecost. Uh, but uh, on her way to Rome, she wanted to stop at, um, at London and somebody told her that, well, actually the priest who first took me to the prayer meeting at, uh, uh, told her that I was in London and that I'd be happy to show her around London. Yeah. So that's what I did. She came to London and I showed her around London uh, and uh, talked to her, told her where I was at and everything. And of course, uh, she felt that the answer to my concern was baptism in the spirit. Um, well, she gave me um, some things I should pray and think about, repentance, a deeper repentance for sin and a greater commitment of my life to the Lord. Uh, and so that's, uh, then um, she set off for Rome and um, went to the conference. But um, uh, after the conference, there was a Capuchin priest from my province who went to the conference as well as Rome. And he stopped back in London where I lived uh, with the friars in London uh, to see London and England before he went back to the States. So when he arrived, <clears throat> uh, uh, I asked him if he would pray over me for baptism in the Holy Spirit. That was on May 31st, uh, 1975. Uh, and um, uh, it was the Feast of the Visitation. So we celebrated mass together in a side chapel of the parish church. And after communion, he prayed over me for baptism in the spirit. And, and, uh, uh, and when he prayed over me, I mean, uh, Jesus did really come alive for me. Yeah. And uh, uh, the love of the father became very much aware of and, uh, and he started singing and praying in tongues. And I thought, well, I can do that. So I started singing and praying in tongues with him. And it, um, you know, I, I, I mean, it was a tremendous, tremendous experience. I mean, I haven't had an experience like that since then. But, you know, and I was all alive and excited. And <laughs> yeah. uh, but what the Lord had done for me and uh, uh, and the gospel came alive. Uh, the scriptures really came alive for me. And they, they and so in, you know, over the course of the years, you know, the 
the presence of Jesus has never ceased to be alive for me. Uh, and my love for scripture has never ceased. Uh, and, uh, and, and that stayed with me. I mean, the emotion, the high emotion, the high I was on, yeah. well, that, that has in a way subsided. Uh, you know, one of the things I, when at baptism, I really felt clean, clean inside. It was a tremendous feeling of being clean inside. Now that gradually wore off, but anyway, so, uh, and evangelizing, you know, a, a great desire to preach the gospel and evangelize were all effects that have, uh, have stayed for me, uh, from that, from that time. And, uh, I also think it's quite significant. That it was on the feast of of Mary, the visitation. Yeah. yeah. So when you say that this priest prayed over you to receive baptism in the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Like, are there certain words that he says? Is he praying in tongues over you? Is there a sort of form to it? He put his hands on my head and just prayed that Jesus would pour out his spirit upon me. Uh, And it was basically as simple as as that. Uh, It wasn't any... Yeah, I don't know. Remember exactly what yeah. all he said, but you know, it 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 wasn't uh, his praying over me. Uh, it wasn't long after yeah. he started that I, you know, had the experience that I just described to you. Yeah. So, do you have any idea where this um, idea of baptism in the spirit? comes from? I mean, obviously Christ talks about, um, you know, or John the Baptist talks about, you know, I baptize with water, he'll baptize with the Holy Spirit um, and right. with fire. Um, and I, I, I guess for most, I mean, maybe my understanding is that for most of Christian history, we link that with the sacraments of baptism and, and confirmation. But what is this I mean, does the baptism in the Spirit, as you experience it, does that go back much earlier than the charismatic renewal? Well, I mean, uh, you know, obviously, you know, obviously, when we, you know, when we were baptized, for most of us, that's as infants, uh, we we do receive the Holy Spirit. We're transformed into the likeness of Jesus, the Son. We become part of His mystical body. God becomes our Father. Uh, we become temples of the Holy Spirit. We can cry out, "Abba, Father!" All those sorts of things that. Uh, we come, become part of his body. Uh, we become part of the church. Uh, and uh, so all those things happen at baptism. Uh, and, uh, you know, similarly at confirmation, what, what it, it starts to be sort of reconfirmed or confirmed in uh, confirmation where uh, the spirit comes upon us to uh, help us to bear witness to the faith. The problem is, I think, was uh, for m- most of us, and I, you know, include myself in that. Uh, we 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 never sort of lay hold of our baptism or confirmation fully, um, and uh, and and so the spirit that had been dwelling within us, is, in some ways, kind of lies dormant, not mm-hmm. completely dormant. I mean, I, I, I always believed in Jesus, and right of everything, but uh, uh, he, he remains kind of dormant, and it's only when we sort of validate our baptism, again, when we repent of sin more deeply and, and really want to commit our lives to the Lord with 
uh, with no uh, strings attached. You're really giving our life to to Jesus in a manner in which um, uh, we sort of give up our will in a way. We place our will in the will of will of Jesus, um, uh, and we're willing to give up anything for Him. I remember that you know I really had to say I want Jesus more than I want anything. I want Jesus more than I want my doctorate. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's in that sort of framework that I think you know praying or someone from Baptist spirit, the spirit comes really alive within us uh, because of the maturity with which we make our act of faith and give our lives to Jesus and repent of our of our sins. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I, I think a lot of people that I talk to have experiences like that, maybe, you know, a moment in prayer, a moment of conversion where they, they kind of realize the gravity of their sin, they want to turn their life over to Christ, they... Um, they kind of make that submission of will. Um, and I also know a lot of people who consistently pray to the Holy Spirit. Um, I know for myself, I, I've always loved the um, the novena to the Holy Spirit that we do um, leading up to Pentecost. And so I'm, you know, asking the Holy Spirit for all these gifts to be stirred up in me. Um, do you think that is more or less equivalent to the graces of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Or do you think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is this, like, very unique experience where you need somebody to pray over you and ask intercede for you to receive that or do you think it's just an instance of this um you know kind of broader maybe conversion experience that a lot of people have uh i think it's probably unique uh, i think uh in one sense you have to see in a sense a radical change uh, there has to be a radical change with baptism spirit. There has to be a radical change uh, in your in your life. Uh, uh, you know, similar to the experience I I narrated. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I can definitely delineate before and after baptism in the spirit. I would not be the priest, the evangelist, the writer, the teacher I became uh, if it wasn't for baptism of spirit. Jesus you know, would not be alive the way he is for me if it wasn't for baptism in the spirit. Uh, you know, I, 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 I uh, so I, I, I mean, we can pray for the spirit and everything, but, you know, uh, I think, yeah, yeah, I think if we're baptized in the spirit, we we experience a radical change from the way we were yeah. before. Yeah. And and a lot of times, you know, people can pray to the spirit or whatever, but they can't they, they don't experience a radical change within their lives. Right, right. So yeah. I, the and the other thing too, I you know, I mentioned, you know, uh you know, since Vatican II, there have been a lot of uh, sort of renewal movements that have started up, uh, you know, Focolare, um, Community Liberazione, um, oh, what's some of the others? Um, Opus Dei. Opus Dei, you know. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, they're all good in, 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 in their way. And 
I don't want to denigrate them, but there's there's no founder for the charismatic renewal. Oh, that's you, interesting. Yeah, you can talk about who who were the first ones in the Catholic Church who were baptized in the Spirit. Right. But nobody said what we need is to be baptized in the Spirit and pray in tongues. Mm. Uh, that just happened. Yeah. There's no, no human founder of the charismatic renewal. It was purely the Holy Spirit himself mm. started it. I mean, you can <laughs> about Ralph Martin and yeah. Steve Clark or uh, the people who were at... Uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, or Notre Dame, or Ann Arbor, as the early ones, but no one, when they went on that retreat in in Pittsburgh, nobody said, you know, what we what we need is baptism in the Spirit. It just happened to them. Yeah. Unintended, you yeah. know. Well, so. isn't it isn't it true that um, the the first Catholics who were um, received baptism in the Spirit received it at like an ecumenical prayer meeting, like it was maybe a mix of Pentecostals and, and other Protestants? No, I mean, the, the, the first instance, I think, was at Duquesne University. But I don't, I thought, I, I don't know. I don't know the history that okay. well, but yeah. I, I thought it was simply Catholics. Obviously, the Pentecostal charismatic renewal had started earlier within the Protestant denominations uh, back in the early 1900s, Azusa, yeah. for example. In, yeah, yeah. California. Uh, and so, uh, but, um, uh, so, but I think it was, I, you know, Vatican II was to start a renewal of the church. And I think uh, Jesus knew that the renewal that was needed had to be a renewal in life of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Uh, only then would people's faith come alive, the yeah. sacraments coming alive. Uh, being able, willing to evangelize. I mean, I don't know of any group. That I well, I, I, I nuances more, but sure. you know, everybody baptized in the Spirit, um, they have a tremendous desire, a compulsion, even to evangelize. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Not among your normal Catholic, you know. Um, right, right. Well, I guess the thing that I have a hardest time understanding is. Like the way you describe that baptism of the Holy Spirit seems to be the way that St. Paul just describes baptism. You know, you're you're a new creation, and uh, right. you know, there's sort of this fervor attached but, to it. But you, you are a new creation of baptism, but you have to feel like a, yeah. <laughs> you know, a new creation. You know? Yeah, you know? yeah. So, uh, so because we're I, a body of creatures, uh, and so what takes place spiritually inside should have an effect over the whole whole of us, you know. Right, and, right. And uh, so. Um, yeah, uh, I guess I've always I've always wondered, like, you know, with with baptism, with with confirmation, you know, you know, we have the outward signs of the sacraments, the water, the chrism, all of that, and and that's supposed to signify like the, what's happening inwardly, you know, forgiveness of sins, new life in Christ, temples of the Holy Spirit, etc. But like, there's so rarely a, as you mentioned, like kind of this other visceral experience besides just like, you know, feeling the water, feeling the oil. There's so, there's so really this kind of emotional um, experience, you know, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that only seems to come? Part of it again, is, um, you know, most of us, again, were baptized 
as infants. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it's our godparents, who, parents who make the profession of faith on our behalf. Most of us are confirmed um, when we're older. Of course, you know, it's often said among priests, we young people get confirmed not in the church, but they get confirmed out of the church. Yeah. They're con- yeah. <laughs> they're confirmed, they don't think they need to go to church anymore. It's the most rich. Yeah, it's so true. Sad, sad thing, but that's the way they feel. I've, I've done it. I don't have to worry about religion anymore. I'm, or Jesus and whatever. And a part of it is we don't, we, uh, the people who teach them don't expect anything to really change in the kid's life. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, they tell them, you know, they're going to receive the Holy Spirit, but that somehow this is, they're supposed to experience the Spirit coming into them doesn't enter the other people's minds, you know? Uh, and the reason is because it, it hasn't happened to them either. So why should right. they happen to anybody else right i i but i think what i what i wrestle with that is that it makes it seem like the sacraments aren't efficacious when it's like our i mean our faith teaches that they're supposed to be i mean correct me if i'm wrong but supposed to be the most efficacious experiences of grace and it's it's like it seems like they're not you know it seems like they're being somewhat emptied of their power and the baptism of the spirit is like you know setting up I, I don't know it's, it's almost like repl- not replacing them obviously but it, it sort of seems that way you know you know what i'm saying right i do i mean the sacrament there's nothing wrong with the sacraments yeah the sacraments are efficacious all yeah. right yeah but the grace of the sacrament is in proportion to how well disposed we are yeah for to receive the grace i mean we receive communion but which is the true body and blood of Jesus. But those, you know, if we don't receive it with, you know, loving hearts and fullness of faith, mm-hmm. well, it will have some effect on us. It will not have the effect that somebody of somebody who really loves Jesus and, and wants to be freed from sin and wants to, you know, love the father, you know, uh, you know, the effect within us is, is partly is is you know due to the manner in which we receive the sacraments you know yeah oh no for sure yeah that's um that was one like a big moment that i didn't realize until i was much older that like we had some effect on maybe like our receptivity to the graces you know it's like there's all there's this you know immense amount of grace that's there in the sacraments but we have uh, um, almost a, a say in how much we receive, you know, based on our disposition, our desire, our detachment from sin, etc. Yeah, that's that's very true. That's yeah. very true. So, yeah. do you think that everybody should seek out baptism in the Holy Spirit? Well, I yes, I would think so. I why not? I mean, <laughs> and it it, uh, it 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 can't hurt you. <laughs> No, and and you know, I think everybody should desire the, for Jesus to come alive in their lives. Uh, I think every person should, you know, strive to deepen their faith. I think every person should strive to be more repentant. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I I would, you know, say baptism in the Spirit is is a gift that Jesus has given to the church at this time. Uh, and and so I don't see any reason why people would not want it. 
they might, you know, they might have the same attitude. Well, it's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't fit my personality. Well, you know, um, it, it, you're the same one sense. You're the same person before as you were after only you really become more of who you really are. Mm, yeah. You know? uh, grace perfects nature. It doesn't destroy yeah, nature. Absolutely. Grace perfected who I was. It didn't destroy who I was. I thought it would destroy who I was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that, that's, it, yeah. Something that, I don't know. So like there's, there's kind of the, the side of me that, that looks at things maybe more, there's sort of the supernatural side and then there's like the more natural side. And so when I see people um, get involved with the charismatic movement, you know, even to the extent that it's still around today, like there seems to be certain, um, I don't know, like certain almost cultural things that happen. You know, they start praying in a way over there, they're lifting their hands up, but they start singing, you know, praise and worship music as opposed to maybe other kinds of, of hymns. And there's sort of a, uh, I don't know, there is like a culture to it as well. And so I think some people think like, okay, well, you know, this sounds legit. This sounds amazing. But like, do I have to like, you know, start, you know, I don't know, do I have to go to Franciscan University and, and, and become like the externals of the charismatic movement? You know, I think some people, I think that's, you kind of mentioned that when you first saw the prayer meeting, like you said, oh, this doesn't seem like it's for me, you know? And, but I think, you know, you know, the raising of hands. When you're baptized in the Spirit, it, it's just something you will naturally do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Praising Jesus is something you just naturally yeah. do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 not something you're not conforming to a set template. It just, right. It's just natural. Yeah, it just sort of spills out of you. Uh, yeah. So... Um, and, and you, well, you do it in your own way in a way, but it's, you know, you, it, uh, you know, but it's, 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 it's not, it's in a sense natural, uh, because of the supernatural grace, all of this becomes natural in a sense to, to do it's, you know, like Mary conceiving Jesus, she burst out with the Magnificat. Mm, mm, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so we're, we're actually almost out of time here. I'm going to have to have you back for part two sometime because I, I have so many more questions. But before we go, I do want to ask you a little bit about speaking in tongues. Um, because when we read uh, Acts of the Apostles, Pentecost, um, the apostles are speaking in tongues. It's, it's very clear that they're speaking languages that they didn't know, but languages that other people know. And so... The, the crowds around them say, you know, we hear them, you know, we're, we're, we're Medes and from Mesopotamia and from, you know, yeah. Italy, whatever, you know, they're, they're speaking all these human languages. And so whenever I've been around, I've never prayed in tongues, to my knowledge at least, but whenever I've been around people who are praying in tongues, it, it doesn't sound like, oh, that's just a foreign language that I don't understand. It just kind of sounds like gibberish. And I don't know, does that mean that I just don't have the gift of interpretation or is there a different kind of praying in tongues that's different from what the apostles experienced where native speakers understood them? I understand. Uh, I think there's two different, two different uh, types of praying in tongues. Um, Obviously at Pentecost, um, you know, uh, the people understood what Peter was saying in, or the apostles were saying 
in their own language. Now, if, if I'm correct, scripture scholars are not sure whether it's because the apostles were speaking all these different languages or whether they were speaking in their own language, but everybody nonetheless was able to hear the, uh, hear them in their own language, you know? Yeah. Was, was the speaking in tongues, what was supernaturally happening? Uh, speaking in foreign languages happening? Or the hearing was the mm. supernatural? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it doesn't make any difference, in a sense, because, you know, uh, the, the people who were listening uh, understood what the apostles were saying, even though... Uh, uh, they all had different different languages. Uh, so that, that's one way. That, I think that's one type of praying in tongues. And I've heard that happening, you know, uh, where, you know, somebody, missionaries or whatever, were a, able to speak in languages they not have never studied. Um, but the more common is, uh, I think, what Paul talks about in, in, in Corinthians, you know. Mm-hmm. And, Again, we have two 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 aspects. One is somebody you know prays in tongues, where it's sort of a prophetic message, and praying in tongues is sort of sounding the alert that uh, God is going to say something prophetic, and then the person there uh, interprets the message. You know. Yeah. Now I've rarely seen that happen. I've rarely seen that happen. But what I do do see both in my own life and at prayer meetings is that uh, people pray in tongues in the sense that uh, they're making sounds that aren't necessarily any language at all, uh, but they're making these sounds in a jubilatory type of manner, mm. making sounds in, it, it's like, you know, praising the Lord, but we run out of words, and so we just make joyful noises. Um, uh, you know, in praise of, of Jesus and, and, and singing in tongues as well. It all has to do with the inner, inner, inner person who is giving glory and praise to Jesus with his heart and mind. And in a sense, the words, the sounds are just giving voice to this inner praise and, uh, of, and glorifying Jesus. And what I find is, is that in praying in tongues, Jesus does become more present to you. So is that then that something that you can do by yourself, um, well, or is it always a communal prayer no, experience? You, do, you can do it by yourself. You can do it by yourself. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I had I had so many more questions, but I just we just got on the baptism of the spirit, and, and I wanted to really dive into that because that was something that. Um, I, I try to do some research on, but it's, it's hard to find sources. Well, I guess the only sources I really find are things from the charismatic renewal, which, which makes sense. But, um, would you, would you say that's kind of a new, uh, I don't want to say it like almost new form of prayer in the way that like, you know, the rosary wasn't around for the first millennia of, of Christian history. Would you say that's something similar with the baptism of the spirit or is this always been there and at, at different times and places, but we're just kind of a movement has, has come from it. Well, I think, you know, I think, you know, most of the saints in some ways have experienced baptism in the spirit. Uh, you know, that was my original thing that, you know, Jesus was alive for the saints yeah. and the man he was not alive for me. Yeah. So I think, um, I think in a sense, you know, baptism in the spirit was 
is sort of a replication of what happened to many of the saints. Mm. But I think, you know, uh, uh, throughout the history of the church, there have been different renewal movements at different times, uh, all of which brought to life the faith of the people. Uh, they maybe not call it baptism in the spirit, but mm-hmm. and it may not have been baptism in the spirit as we now experience it in our own day. But, you know, the Benedictines, for example, yeah. a renewal movement uh, at the time. And, and, you know, they formed monasteries out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> but but in, nonetheless, people came uh, to um, uh, live around the monasteries because they wanted to participate in, in the, the, the renewal that the Benedictines embodied. And so, you, you know, a lot of towns in Europe, our towns that were at one time just monasteries, but a town grew up around a monastery. Anything that has a monster in it, yeah, <laughs> or, you know, it, it was once, once simply a monastery to which the town grew around it. Uh, in the same way, at the time of Francis, you know, you 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 had, you had the Franciscans and Dominicans, both again renewal movements, yeah. People wanted to share in that renewal movement. Uh, you know, the whole point was to renew the church, and the church was renewed. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, were, were, were changed because of the preaching of the friars, whether they were uh, Benedictine or, or uh, Franciscan or Dominican. Yeah. At the time of the Reformation, you had, you had again, you had, uh, you know, like the Jesuits and and um, you know, Ignatius's spiritual exercises uh, were similar to that a renewal, or Peter Neri, uh, you know, uh, in a different sort of way. Uh, but you know, he brought a whole renewal to Rome uh, through his preaching and the things that he specifically did with his conferences mm-hmm. uh, that he preached and everything, and the pilgrimages he made around the city. Uh, similarly, the, the re- religious order I belong is, which is which a, a renewal movement within the Franciscans, the Capuchins. Um, so, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, so do but, you see the charismatic renewal as a worldwide renewal or more of a local or a local movement within uh, maybe the Americas? Oh, well, it's, it's worldwide. I mean, it's, you know, right, you know, right, you know, in one sense, it's, it's, it's not, it's not as vibrant in the United States, but it's, you know, it's very vibrant within South America, mm-hmm. Africa, mm-hmm. Asia, uh, Korea, you know, it's Philippines. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's very, very vibrant. And, you know, one of the reasons, you know, uh, you know, Catholic in the, South America get upset is because Pentecostals are taking all their people. Well, <laughs> I blame the church on that. Uh, the Pentecostals are leading the people to Jesus. Mm. Um, you know, the Catholic Church is, you know, it's into liberation theology or some other thing. It's, you know, the people want Jesus. They don't yeah. want money. They want Jesus. <laughs> you know, and and the and the Pentecostals and the Evangelicals are doing that. You know, right. Uh, and uh, you know, so the Catholic Church in in these countries should get on board. Yeah, uh, you know, and I, you know they have in many ways, but you know, in Africa and you know, um, China. I mean, it's it's the Pentecostal 
you know, evangelicals who are making great inroads into China. Yeah. You know, yeah. The Catholic Church I, missionaries in China are doing a good job as well. But, uh, you know, I think baptism in the spirit is is something that the Lord wants for the entire mm. the entire world. Yeah. yeah. So last question. Do you see this uh, renewal as a direct consequence of Vatican II, or do you see it more as something that happened alongside of it? No, I think it's a direct consequence. Um, I mean, Vatican II never said what we need is baptism in the Spirit. What, you know, what Vatican II and John the 23rd was open the doors and we must, and prayed for a new Pentecost. Well, yeah. they didn't realize the manner <laughs> which the new Pentecost was going to happen. Yeah. But the charismatic and the baptism of the Spirit is an answer to that prayer, you know. Yeah. A new Pentecost, you know. So I think it's it's uh, it's directly connected to Vatican II, even though Vatican II <laughs> didn't realize. Right. The, <laughs> the spirit he, knew. <laughs> answer the prayer. Yeah. It always happens, you know. Yeah. They, we we you know the Holy Old Testament is God doing things that people never expected, but once right. He does, we say, "Oh man, that's marvelous! Why didn't I think of that?" Yeah. <laughs> Um, wow. Okay. So, um, have you written for, for the listeners here, have you written any, um, I know you've written a lot, but have you written anything specifically on the theology of the renewal? No. Okay. But, <laughs> you should, <laughs> but I would like to think all the books I have written, I would never have written them the way I have if it wasn't for the manner in which because of, because of baptism in the spirit, mm. wow. I think you know that my latest books, Jesus Becoming Jesus, on the Gospels are a good example of this. You know, I would have never. I'm not a scripture scholar. I'm a historical, dogmatic, systematic theologian. Yeah, written three volumes on the Gospels called Jesus Becoming Jesus. The first one was is on the Synoptics, and the second two are on the Gospel of John. But, you know, I would have never written those books if it wasn't for being baptized in the Spirit and the Lord giving me a love love for Scripture. Wow. So if you want to see the effects of yeah. the Spirit in a theological manner, yeah, uh, people might be interested in looking at those. Definitely, definitely. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Father, for joining me for this conversation. Like I said, I have uh, so many more questions. I'm going to have to have you back to, to get them all answered. Uh, but yep. I'd really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with me today. All right. Well, the Lord bless your work down in Southern Maryland. Yes. <laughs> all right. You take care. <laughs> right. Amen. Thank you, Father. Bless you and watch over you. Amen. <laughs> God bless. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.